Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. I'm Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at Housing Wire, here with the latest episode of the Housing Wire Daily Podcast. On Mondays, my guest is always Housing Wire lead analyst Logan Motoshami, so we can talk about the latest economic news. But before we dive in, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Now more than ever, it's important you partner with a subservicer who is compliant. At TMS, they operate under a culture of compliance one that follows all investor and regulatory guidelines 24-7-365. They not only put the customer first, they do what is right. It's a way of doing business that has earned special praise from Fannie Mae, Jenny Mae, and many state regulators. Partner with a subservicer who makes compliance a priority. Go to subservicing.themoneysource.com. Okay, Logan, we're ready to dive in. Welcome back to the podcast. It is always great to be here. Love to have you. So, wow, so much happening. Um, We want to talk about mortgage rates. We want to talk about new home sales. Uh, But first, maybe you can give us an update on on where you think mortgage rates are going to go because of the Ukraine situation. Well, the bond market... um tends to rally when there's a uh, uh, bad news with the Russian situation and then when you know things get a little bit better uh, you know when the stock market rebounded 10-year yield has gone back up so uh, as of now it hasn't been the event that usually draws money into the bond market that might help mortgage uh, pricing so it's actually stayed pretty firm and it goes with the trend in 2022 that global yields have risen uh, especially Japan and Germany. And even with the really crazy headlines, all this has done is kind of maybe delayed what the next move will be. And I think going out in the future, especially for this year, it's going to be really about can the world economic data stay firm uh, and global yields rise to to help the 10-year yield to go up for mortgage rates to rise even more? Or does the world economy slow down and money goes back into the bond market uh, as the economies around the world start to have their yields come down and we follow with them. So I think the good, that'll be the good tug of war going out for the rest of the year between a, uh, can the economy stay firm or uh, does the kind of the, maybe the global inflationary data really start to bite into the data to drive uh, economic growth slower and that intends brings yields and mortgage rates down. I know that um, you look at the uh, yield rates of um, or the or the bond uh, over in Germany and Japan. Do either of those like is Germany a particularly good bellwether right now with what's going on with Ukraine and Russia? Well, it, just in general, but even before the Russia-Ukraine situation happened, the main premise with the 2022 forecast is to be able to get above 1.94% or to even start to create a range, you need global yields to rise. And we have, and and I thought that's the most important thing because it's been very hard for our bond market to really head higher above 1.94% since uh, 2019. If you take the Russian situation out of the equation, uh, I think the Germany and Japan are the next bigger economies outside of uh, uh, 
China. So in a sense, global yields, when they rise, they have to be part of, you know, they have to be kind of the ringleaders of that. And that has had a clear deviation from our 10-year yield uh, recently. But I thought that was the most important factor for 2022. So that is kind of set. Um, Germany and Japan's economies are not like booming. They're actually very old economies. Uh, their, their, their average age is much older than ours. But uh, if they don't hold their bond yields and they start to go back lower again, like they have uh, typically, I think it's hard for our 10-year yield to really go up higher and especially our mortgage rates. So I think that's going to be the story for the rest of the year. Eventually, uh, the Ukraine-Russian situation, hopefully it, it calms down. But there's also the economic impact of sanctions and what does it do for the U.S.? Does it, Do we start to get hit with inflation or there? So there's, there's a wide range of variables here with this situation that might be different than, let's say, the, uh, um, the Iran or, or, or the U.S.-Iraq uh, war, something to that nature, just because Russia is such a big commodities player right now. And uh, not, it's not just energy, but it's this commodity itself. So we have to take a look at how that war situation impacts the inflationary data going out, especially with uh, wheat grains and and, and aluminum prices, stuff like that to see if you get any relief, because we're all dealing with shortages around the world. So uh, there's a lot going on, right, you know, uh, with, with the world economies and what we have to deal with. And we're still not COVID-19 free, even though we're starting to move to that area. But uh, it, it'll be interesting because the 10-year yield, what it showed me uh, it recently is that even with a stock market correction, even with uh, uh, war headlines, it has basically stayed very firm, uh, saying that the U.S. economy is still in a very expansionary mode and nothing yet is, is, is raising red flags. And the economic data verifies that as well. And that's going to be the uh, kind of the interesting aspect for the rest of the year uh, in regards to Germany, Japan, the U.S., the Russian situation, inflationary data. Does it eventually take a bite out of our stuff? Those things are things that I'd love to track on a daily basis. So, you know, one of the things that you had talked about with the 10-year yield, I mean, uh, when everyone else was like, oh, you know, mortgage rates are going to go up, you're like, you know, probably a little bit, but also they could go down if, you know, depending on what happens with the yield. Where do you see mortgage rates like in the short term? Or is it really, you can't say anything right now with, with that whole instability? You know, the fact that the 10-year yield has been so firm recently, it really shows that you really, we really need to see weaker economic data here in, in the U.S. Now, the rate of growth of the economy is peaked out last year. There's just no way we're going to continue this high, fast growth. So the Federal Reserve is doing its best to slow the economy down. Uh, in fact, once they raise uh, uh, interest rates, even though it's just a quarter, it's one of my red re recession red flags that uh, um, that I'm going to put up there. And also the inverted yield curve, we're getting more and more discussions about this. I've been on inverted yield curve watch for a while now since the two-year yield broke over 62 basis points. So the bond market is telling us, you know, things are okay, but we are starting to get closer and closer into having two or three recession red flags raised. And uh, that's something I really go over uh, after the jobs reports on, on my housing wire articles. So it, we have to be mindful of data uh, more than ever, and because we're dealing with variables that aren't traditionally going to be with us for a very long time. So uh, hopefully, in the future, some of the things that have been persistently bothering the world economies and us can alleviate itself, and we can move forward into a more traditional economic expansion. Okay. Well. 
give us just a little bit of an explanation about the inverted uh, yield curve. and, and that Yes, way. the inverted yield curve is, yes, uh, it's when the two-year yield and the 10-year yields cross. And historically, when that happens, uh, recession is not that far off. Uh, right now, we have basically like a 40 basis point spread. Usually, the Federal Reserve does not want that to happen, except the 10-year yield has not been able to break away from uh, the two-year yield in a meaningful fashion. So this is why you're starting to see a lot of people discuss the inverted yield curve. Historically speaking, uh, it doesn't cause a recession, but typically it's the bond market saying, you know, things aren't that great uh, out there that, you you know, so it's something that myself, it's it's a very key variable that I track all the time. Uh, um, so that to me is once it happens, you're going to start to see a lot more market people talk about recessions and start to use historical data and referring that when an inverted yield curve happens, uh, recessions are not that far off. From your perspective, then how many red flags, recession, red flags are currently raised and, and where do you think we are in that? Just just one, but uh, after next month, when the Federal Reserve raises uh, interest rates, that'll be two. If the inverted yield curve is uh, uh, happening, that's three. Typically, leading economic index, and I think this will be good for your uh, our viewers, is the leading economic index falls four to six months uh, before uh, a recession. There's a lot of confidence data that has gone below what the uh, pandemic lows were. I wouldn't put much weight into those indexes or those surveys because historically speaking, they've actually fallen below recession levels early in an expansion. So you want to do a little bit harder data like leading economic index, which is a series of multiple data lines. That's still uh, running okay for now. Uh, typically, housing starts or new home sales, they fall going into a recession. So that's another recession red flag that's not, of course, raised. Uh, and, and basically, the main thing is you want to find the overinvestment uh, sector in the economy. And, you know, I'm keeping an eye on retail. Retail sales have taken off. And and I kind of use this, the, the Peloton uh, um, example for everyone. Uh, Peloton was a company that was booming. There's a lot of demand. They spent a lot of money manufacturing, creating a lot of bikes, and demand fell off a cliff. They've cut prices. They have too much inventory, so they've had to lay off 20% of their workforce. That is something that, you know, in the general economic sense, you try to look for. Where is the overinvestment in the economic expansion? Uh, What happens to drive demand lower? We have an abundance of supply. Companies have to fire people just to save their margins. Those are things uh, recessionary and expansion cycles work with. So you need to look at where is the overinvestment in this in, in this uh, uh, early or in this expansion recovery from the COVID lows. Well, really glad that you're going to be keeping an eye on that for our viewers, our listeners, our audience, because, um, you know, it's a it's a tumultuous time and so much is going on. And it's pretty complicated, as you said, everything's uh, related. So we will look to you. This is why you have to follow people who believe in economic models so they can explain and show historical uh, context to each uh, economic expansion and recession. Every every cycle is very unique, but there is a certain amount of core data lines that typically fall before every recession. And I think that was the problem in the previous expansion, which was the longest economic and job expansion in history. There was really no recessionary data. If it wasn't for COVID, we'd still be in the longest expansion in history right now. So, um that's why you got to follow nerds. <laughs> well, it comes in really handy. Okay, uh, let's talk about some other topics, uh, including new home sales. You wrote last week about uh, the new home sales report came out. Uh, what did that look like for you? 
Well, the headline was a miss from estimates, but the revisions were uh, positive for three months. So what's happened is that the monthly supply data on a three-month average, and I've always said that if monthly supply gets above six and a half months um, on a three-month average and you know sales are declining, confidence is down, that's a red flag. So we actually got up to 6.6 months, but of course, we're all dealing with the same issues in the new home sales sector. Uh, it takes forever to close a house uh, or to finish, start building it and finishing it. So there's some spillover effect to that. Uh, what's happened is that demand has picked up recently and that has drawn the monthly supply down to six months. So I would label this as always just an okay marketplace. Uh, when monthly supply is about 4.4 months to 6.4 months, that's where we're, we're kind of at, at six months. It's just an okay market. So a lot of the uh, articles that I write for Housing Wire in terms of the new home sales sector is to show you the trend that we've had uh, from the previous expansion. And that trend is still showing slow and steady growth. Uh, the builder's confidence index has stopped rising. It hasn't really declined much. So it's just an okay marketplace. And I think the builders are very mindful uh, what higher mortgage rates could do. And I, I, I always like to reference back to 2018, 5% mortgage rates, even though it created total home sales to be near 6 million, which sounds like a very good number, um, it did create trouble for the new home sales sector. And their stocks were down 30% plus from their recent highs. One of the builder CEOs said it was the worst fourth quarter uh, since the Great Recession. So they tend to get a little bit drama when uh, things get uh, active on the rate side and you see some cancellation. So I think the builders are mindful that they've, they're they taking forever to actually finish a home, to start a home. So if mortgage rates rise on them, some cancellations happen. So they got to be mindful because housing permits and housing stars are much higher than what we saw in the previous expansion early uh, in you know in 2011 and 12, so we no longer have a very low bar to work with, uh, and in a sense, every every recessionary cycle there's some uh, decline in housing starts and new home sales. So we have to be mindful of that going out. So it's just an okay, slow and steady housing market in that front. Of course, the the downside to some of the new home sales data is median sales price since 2020 has taken off. Uh, it's helped them in terms of dealing with higher. Uh, labor costs, lumber costs, material costs. They they have pricing power, so they use that pricing power for the consumer. The consumer is willing to pay it uh, just to get into a new home. This is one of the factors of having total inventory at all time lows. Some of the expensive new home sales or new homes are actually uh, 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 it's, there's not much supply out there, so the, the tends to be the wealthier, older home buyer with mortgages tend to get some of those new homes. So it benefits them now, but again. Higher rates, right? Higher rates. Economics and housing economics is really demographics and mortgage rates. The demographics are there. So higher rates does impact this sector, even though total home sales might not be declining much. Uh, That's the thing to be mindful about the new home sales sector. You know, one of the things that you talked about uh, in 2021 was the forbearance crash bros, the people who were like, we're going to have this this huge amount of... um, inventory come online from people who uh, went through foreclosure after forbearance ends. Uh, we have not seen that. Now, we did see uh, foreclosures rise a little bit last week. So so tell us why you think that there's this is not the salvation that some people think it is for inventory. So housing crash addicts are always the same. 
Um, they always overhype every real negative data line. Uh, in this case, I always tell people, be careful of falling for percentage increases. Look at total inventory uh, data. You could see it from the NAR, the uh, Realtor.com, everything, active listings. If you actually saw a deteriorating housing market, total inventory levels would increase uh, noticeably. We're, we're not even close. We're at all-time lows. So one of the things that I've written for Housing Wire is that we want to see total inventory data get in a range between 1.52 to 1.93 million. That is historically very low, but that is just basically a normal housing market. There's not too much uh, drama in terms of fighting for a home. Um, and I and I put that purposely there so people don't fall for the antics the professional grifters in America have done for over 10 years. Overhype a story. We've written many articles about this on how to read housing data correctly. Uh, and until we get back to those levels, it's not really a big deal. In fact, the opposite is happening. The things that we should have been worried about is inventory breaking to all-time lows and home prices accelerating too much, and that has been the case. So you kind of want to listen to the people that got it right in the most chaotic time in history and not the antics of a professional grifting group that has been forecasting the housing crash for 10 years, or as I call them, the lost decade. The lost decade. Yeah, so you know we had Black Knight foreclosure data um, last week that said that you know foreclosure starts – went surged sevenfold in January, uh, which was the highest level in two years. But that's not saying much because, you know, we had we had um, forbearance. So that even though volumes are rising, it's still 20 percent below pre pandemic le- levels. And I think that's that goes to your point of like you have to it's, look at it in context. Yeah, it, it, it is the bane and strife of housing economics that these groups of economic professional grifters have ruined the discussion so much. Because and, and, and one of the examples I use is 2018. 2018, we saw some big percentage increases in inventory in certain uh, parts of the U.S., and, but total inventory didn't budge. So my job is to explain to people, you really want to look at total inventory because in 2018, a lot of, I mean, extreme amount of housing bears came out of the woodworks with 5% mortgage rates and talking about inventory is really skyrocketing. It didn't budge at all. Uh, so people can fall for this antic again, but here my job is to show you watch for total inventory levels. We want to get back up to 1.52 to 1.93 million in the total inventory data from the NAR. We're nowhere close there. We start, we're right now at 860,000 and inventory will pick up like it does every year in the spring and summer and it'll fade in the fall and winter. What we don't want is to start 2023 at fresh new all-time lows. That's not a good thing. That's a po- that's a negative for the U.S. economy. It's negative for the housing market. So we want to see if we can break this mold of creating new fresh uh, all-time lows. So look at the total inventory data. Be careful of any foreclosure head. I can't even use the forbearance crash bros with this group if they wanted to use it. You know, So I've got to create something new. Uh, let the data guide you. Don't fall prey for the antics. Always good advice there. Okay, so we're looking at the start of a new month. It's uh, going to be March tomorrow when this podcast comes out. So what are you looking for this week and, and this month? You know, uh, the next jobs report will be very interesting just because I'm I'm getting closer and closer to that September 2022 mark about, you know, by that time we should have all the jobs back. Uh, in the United States that we lost to COVID. There are a lot of variable factors that I thought would delay this 
date to come until um, the end of uh, uh, September. So that's my key. Again, mortgage rates, where are we going? Um, I do believe existing home sales data will trend lower. Uh, the last report was uh, uh, much better than I anticipated, but it's also, I believe, some of the December closings fell into January, and that explains the December weakness and the, uh, the January uh, uh, beating by a big number. So sales ranges should fall. If they don't, the demand is just too good. Uh, so that's another thing I want to track uh, for this next month, see how uh, the data kind of averages out uh, and w- where we are in the jobs uh, market. Uh, I still believe we can get there. Of course, Delta and Omicron have delayed a lot of things, but we're slowly moving that away and we'll see uh, what happens. It's such a unique time in, in just economic history, and not just for the U.S., but the world economies. So I, it, it, it's invigorating to see that we are able here to talk about it every day, every week, and have the viewers listen to people who believe in math, facts, and data, not the storytelling. Love it. And that's why we have you on to guide us through this time. Uh, really looking forward to that. We'll look for more articles this week to come out and, and more takes from you. So thank you once again, Logan. Always love to have you on. It's a pleasure to be here, Sarah, always. Looking for more insight into what will happen in 2022? Or maybe you need more information on what in the world is happening with the federal regulators. Or you could just be looking for information on how to stay competitive as the industry shifts to a purchase-focused market. Our HW Plus Premium Membership comes with all of this insight and more. With your HW Plus Membership, you'll get at least five HW Plus articles a week that dive deeper into the daily news to help you confidently make business decisions. To join, go to housingwarrant.com forward slash membership. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.